Well, good morning, family. I need you to know that I'm afraid of ghosts. Uh, ghost stories, they mess with me. I don't know why. Uh, I can watch a movie with aliens in it. I can watch a movie uh, with monsters in it. But if it has any sort of paranormal activity, it will just mess with me. And it will mess with me for a while. Uh, back in college, I, I was uh, hanging out with a friend in their apartment. And we decided to brave the evening by watching the movie Poltergeist. Uh, it's a classic uh, Steven Spielberg movie about a really nice family that uh, happens to just get haunted and tortured by these evil spirits, these evil ghosts. And uh, the ghosts go as far to inhabit this clown doll that is so creepy, if you've seen the movie. Yeah, it, it, that will mess with you for a while. And, and they abduct the, the little girl from the family, the ghosts do, and, and the little girl's trying to communicate to her family from the ghost world to the human world through the static of the TV, which is just kind of creepy in itself. And, and so we're watching this movie, and, uh, and the events begin to escalate. And get crazier and crazier. And it's coming to this pinnacle point within the movie. And we're watching it in this apartment. And all of a sudden, all the electricity in the apartment goes out. (laughs) Seconds later, the electricity comes back on. And the TV comes back on. And it's static. (laughs) I jump up, scream like a girl, and turn off the TV. (laughs) Breathing very heavy. Now we find out later that my friend's roommate knew what we were watching through the circuit breaker right at the appropriate time just to mess with it. Yeah, that kind of friend. <laughs> but, but ghostly, it just, it just messes with me. Now I know we got Jesus. I know we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us. And I know the scriptures say, you know, that when we got Jesus, we, we, got, we got dominion. We have power over evil spirits, over, over demons. We, we, we've got, you know, power over that through Jesus. But there is that one story that shows up in Mark chapter 9, where Jesus sends out his disciples, and he tells them to go tell the rest of the world about Jesus. And, and the disciples run into a demon-possessed person, and they try to cast out the demon, but they can't. And then Jesus comes along and he casts out the demon like that because he's Jesus. And, and later on, they're having a conversation with Jesus. And the disciples go, Jesus, how come you could cast out the demon, but we could not? And Jesus explains, well, that particular type of demon requires fasting and prayer. And I just know that the day I have to cast out a demon, I'm going to be face-to-face with this thing and be like, it's Christ who compels you or what? I'll say something, but, but I just know the demon's going to say back to me, I'm the kind that requires fasting and prayer. And... and <laughs> I'd be like, I knew it. I knew that's the one I would get. <laughs> so there's, there's all these stories that are in the Bible, and they sound kind of weird. They sound kind of par- paranormal in ways. And, uh, and there's a lot of these stories that happen right around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about those this morning. But before we do, I want you to stand up, greet someone around you, and let them know it's going to be a wild one this morning. By the way, now would be a good time to uh, pull out the Harborside app or download the Harborside uh, app and follow along. But Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 27, 
something that I think is kind of crazy. Uh, now, this happens the moment Jesus dies on the cross. It says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. I don't know about you, but I think that's messed up. I, I think that, I mean, I don't know why we don't hear more sermons on this. Do you get that the tombs came open, dead people came back to life and started visiting their friends? I mean, that's just, we're back. I mean, that's just weird. That's crazy. And, 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 I, and yet the scriptures kind of gloss over that. And, and the reason is because they skip to the most important resurrection story, and that is Jesus. Jesus was very, very dead, and three days later was very, very alive. And, and, and Jesus is not just coming back to life. He's coming back to life to hang out with people, to be with people. And I'm just thinking if it was me, if it was me, if I was Jesus, and I just atoned for the sin of the world, I think I would be kicking back on a hammock somewhere, drinking a fruity beverage, taking a well-deserved day off. But, but not Jesus. No, Jesus gets right back to work. Start, starts meeting and hanging out with people so that they might believe. And he does this for about 40 days. In fact, you ever notice in the Bible, whenever there's this 40-day period, all of a sudden after it, the world changes. And so for 40 days, from about mid-April to mid-May that year, Jesus is just showing up and hanging out with people. And he's showing his resurrected, back-to-life form. And over 500 people interact with him and see him. They hear him. They touch him. Sometimes we wonder, you know, we go back in history, how come Christianity spreads so rapidly? I mean, just all of a sudden, you go back in history, it's just, it's blowing up. Why? I mean, if you think about it, there are thousands of devout Jews who were there yelling, crucify him, kill this man. And then within two months, thousands of them changed their whole way of life, dedicated their entire existence to following Jesus. Why? Because they saw him. They they heard him. They, They touched him. He was very much alive. And Jesus goes around showing himself to, to all sorts of people, and they believe, and Christi, uh, excuse me, Christianity explodes. Now, if it was me, if I had come back to life as Jesus, I don't think I would go to the people Jesus went to. I would go to some important people just to say, I told you so. I, I think if, I, if it was me and I came back to life, I would go to Caiaphas' house, you know, the guy who helped in, instrument, you know, get me crucified. I would go, go to Herod's house. I'd just show up and be like, guess who's back? Uh, I'm kind of a big deal. My name's Jesus. I, I think I would go, I would go to Pilate's house and, and I would just go into Pilate's bedroom and I'd just kind of tap on Pilate and say, hey, Pilate, you remember that dream your wife had about me and you decided not to listen Welcome to your new nightmare. I just think it'd just be fun. I told you so. And I would. I, I told you. I was king of kings. I told you. Nobody has authority over me. But that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't go to the perceived important people. He goes first to some forgotten women, some disloyal disciples, and even a doubter like Thomas. The, the first people who get to see Jesus is Mary Magdalene. Which is ironic. I mean, this is how you know this stuff's not made up. Because it it doesn't make sense in some ways. Because a woman's testimony wasn't even admissible in court. So if you're going to prove you're alive, why go to Mary Magdalene? Why go to a woman where 
in that culture, it wouldn't matter what she said. But there she was at the tomb, devoted to Jesus, whether he's alive or dead. She was there, and he appears to her. And there, that Easter evening, he appears to his disciples, his scared, cowardly, disloyal disciples. I mean, there's even Peter there who denied him three times, but that's who he goes and appears to. And then a week later, he'll appear to Thomas, who's called a doubter. Now, I think Thomas kind of gets a bad rep, not just because we share a name. I I think, you know, the guy, (laughs) he doubts, you know, one time publicly, and, you know, for the rest of his legacy, he's called Doubting Thomas. It's like the kid I knew in first grade got caught picking his nose one time, and forever he was called Booger, at least for elementary school. The, the nickname stuck, pun intended. Um, but I, I just think, you know, Thomas, Thomas gets a bad rap. And I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we're not much different than Thomas. I, I get why Thomas doubts. And I think we doubt too for the same reasons. You see, it, it's simply this. When we, we doubt when we miss out. We doubt when we miss out. And for Thomas, he misses out on this whole uh, showing of Jesus and, uh, and really, it's probably because Thomas wasn't where he should have been at the time. He's not there. And so John tells us about this experience. In John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. Now, if we, go, if we go a couple scriptures further in the text, we realize that they're all there except one dude. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Where was he? Where was Thomas? And the answer is we don't know. But, but I think there's some scriptures early, early on that kind of give us an insight into Thomas's personality. We can see that Thomas is probably a bit of a realist. Uh, He's probably a bit of a perfectionist, that that melancholy personality. And we know that with the perfectionist, that it'll really mess with that perfectionist when things don't work to perfection, when when things happen that are unplanned, when when it doesn't go according to schedule. And Jesus' whole death and resurrection is definitely not according to schedule. And and so that personality will get upset. And then they'll be upset that they're upset. And it'll just kind of spiral sometimes into depression and this need for solitude and And perhaps that's Thomas. Maybe he just can't handle what's going on and how life feels like it's falling apart. And he just gets lost in his own misery. And we know, like, we know that things aren't always going to work out the way we want them to. There's going to be pain. There's going to be problems. But but misery is really a choice. And sometimes we can get so lost in our own misery that we miss the victory that's happening right amongst us. I mean, it's not just Thomas. Mary Magdalene does it as well. She's so lost and entrenched in her sorrow that she doesn't realize Jesus is alive, standing right there. So she thinks he's the gardener. She misses it. And and sometimes we can can miss it. We can get wrapped up in our doubt, wondering, you know, is Jesus even here? Can he even see what I'm going through? So going through, so lost in our sorrow that we we fail to realize what he's actually standing right there and doing, right next to us, right near us. That he's very aware of our situation. But, but Thomas doesn't get that. And what snaps Mary Magdalene out of it is that Jesus calls her by name. She hears his voice. But Thomas doesn't get that luxury. Why, why does he doubt? Because he did not hear him. He heard the rumors about him. He heard the stories that he was risen from the dead. But Thomas wants to hear the voice of Jesus. 
And the thing about Jesus is he's not always loud. Jesus will often sneak into our situation kind of quietly and do his thing. I mean, even the disciples miss it. It tells us that the doors were locked when they were in that room. They don't even hear him come in. Why are the doors locked? Well, the rumor is the disciples are the ones who stole the body of Jesus, which would have been a federal offense. The Roman government crucified him, so therefore the Roman government owned his body, and that's why they put the Roman seal on the tomb, a Roman guard, to keep watch. And the disciples don't know what's going on, but they know what they're, getting, they're accused of, and so they're hiding, they're, they're desperate, and so the, the doors are locked, and they're kind of entrenched in their own misery and situation, and so they miss out. How does Jesus get in those locked doors? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. It's a mystery. But what they do here is Jesus say to them, Shalom, peace be with you. And I think it's interesting that when Jesus speaks to the disciples, he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't go, oh, come on, you guys, you doubted. You know, he's, he brings peace and comfort into their situation. But Thomas did not get the luxury to hear him, and so he doubts. I, I think another reason Thomas doubts is because he did not see him. The other guys, they get to see Jesus. It tells us this in chapter 20, verse 20. It says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I mean, here Thomas, he will uh, ignore the eyewitness account of ten of his buddies. And uh, Thomas, no, 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 I got, I got to see him for myself. Then maybe I'll believe. And, and I think some of us, were like that too. We have a hard time believing that God is moving in our lives right now, that God could, could be aware, be doing something, unless we see it under a microscope or through a telescope. We want, we want to see it. In fact, the disciples continue to tell Thomas, they say, uh, look, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, Thomas takes it a step further. He says, I don't want to just see him. I got to feel him. You guys, you guys, you got to touch Jesus, but not me. I'm not going to believe. I'm going to doubt. Why? Because I missed out. I didn't feel him. And I think for some of us this morning, we're waiting to experience Jesus. We're waiting for a moment. And and we don't don't know what to do until we get that moment. I I know there's probably some in the room that that doubt, you know, is Jesus even real? Are these stories true? You know, is he who he said he was? But I think most of us in the room have these little doubts about Jesus. Is he as powerful enough to do what he said he would do continually in my life? Does he really have full life for me? Is he really there in the pain I'm experiencing? Is he really trying to work through my situation for his glory? Are these things really happening? We doubt. Is, do you hear my prayers, Jesus? Do you hear me? Do you see me? Do you know what's going on? And, and we're waiting for this experience to feel him, to know that he is near, to know that he is there. We got the little doubts going on. I, I think it's interesting when Luke, when he tells the story about Jesus interacting with the disciples, it says this, that the disciples were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. This is their ghost story. But he says to them, why are you so troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look in my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. See, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe, because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? 
They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Why does Jesus eat? Because ghosts don't eat. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones. You can't touch them. Ghosts don't digest food. And, and Jesus, as you see, the, the, the post-resurrection appearances, when he hangs out with people, he's often eating breakfast, lunch, dinner, to show, I'm not a ghost. I'm real. Blame Thomas for doubting. I don't blame any of us for doubting. You see, see I think, now, I don't think it can be done right when you think about it. In fact, I almost thought about calling this message, Why You Should Doubt. Because doubts can actually lead to, to a very fantastic place in our faith. Uh, you see, this is, this is why. Because doubts lead to questions. Doubts lead to questions. You see, doubting was never meant to be a permanent position. Doubting was never meant to be an excuse. A permanent excuse. Well, I guess I'll never believe because I got some doubts. Welcome to the rest of us. I mean, it, doubts, all that means is you have questions. And questions are good. And I think Thomas would say the, the only dumb question is the one that's not asked. I mean, Thomas wasn't afraid to, pull, to put out his doubts, to put out his questions. In fact, this isn't the first time he does this. If you were to go back a few other chapters, if you, if you were to go back to, to John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, Hey, in a little while I'm going to be leaving you and uh, going back to the Father. But don't worry because you guys know the way to get there. And Thomas just says, Well, well wait a minute, Jesus. Just being the realist in this moment, um, we don't have a clue where you're going or how to get there. How, how, do, how are we going to know? And if Thomas never asked the question, if he never posed the doubt, we'd never get John chapter 14, 6, where Jesus lets us all know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, that's the beauty about our doubts is it leads to, to questions. And those questions lead to answers. There are good answers for your doubts. There are good answers for your questions, but you have to ask the questions in order to receive the answers. I'm a big proponent of mentorship relationships. And what I like about them especially is when you have a mentee who brings a list of questions for the mentor. Because then they're set up to learn. They're set up to grow. Because the truth is, the the beauty of answers is those answers will lead to truth. That there's truth to be understood. And Thomas is asking questions so he can get answers and he can know the truth. And and he doesn't want a second-hand faith. I don't blame him. He wants his own story. One that he can't deny. You know, sometimes we try to run off of somebody else's fuel, somebody else's faith. And that works for... A short amount of time. You, you can believe because your parents told you, because your grandparents told you, be, because your neighbor told you. But at some point, you got to decide, I want a real experience with Jesus. I want my own firsthand faith, my personal experience with Jesus. And, and you got to be willing to go there. You see, having doubts and questions, it's, it's not so that you can get sympathy. It's not so you can seem that you're like intellectually deep. Because I got questions and doubts. No, the point of having doubts is to get answers. And, and when you find those answers, when you find those truths, to accept those answers. You see, there's a difference between not believing and not wanting to believe. It's a big difference. See, we, we can not believe something because we have questions, because we have doubts, and that's fine. We need to pursue those and look for those answers, look for those truths. But sometimes we don't want to know the truth. 
We want to just leave it at, I got doubts, I got questions. I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to move forward because of what the truth might do to our lives. If we were able to grasp the truth, well, it might change whether or not I'm in this relationship. It, it might change how I deal with this situation at work. If I knew the truth and accepted it as truth, then it might change how I treat a certain family member or what I do when I walk out of here. The truth changes us, and sometimes we just don't want to get, we don't want to be changed, and so we refuse to believe. We don't want to believe. It's not that there's not answers, not that there's not truth. We just don't want to go there. And I think there's another problem that'll happen in the church, especially. Sometimes we'll come to church as Christians, and we'll act like we don't doubt. (laughs) We'll act like, well, I'm I'm a Christian. I, I never doubt. Let me just be the first to admit this morning. There have been multiple times in my life where I have doubted. Doubted my salvation. Doubted, is God real? Is Jesus real? And if I'm truly honest, those moments where I've been lost in those doubts have been the moments where I've been farthest from God. Not intentionally, but wasn't kind of keeping up with my prayer life. Wasn't really digging into the scriptures. Wasn't hanging out with other believers. So I find myself in areas of doubt. But then there have been those times in life where, man, my, my prayer life's on point. I mean, uh, I'm uh, digging into the scriptures daily. Uh, I'm hanging out with the believers, and my faith becomes so strong. I mean, you could come to me, and you could try and tell me. You'd be like, Tom, I don't believe there is a God. I don't believe that God exists. I'd be like, your mom doesn't exist. I mean, God is existing. <laughs> You know, he, I, I can tell you that because I, I, I've seen him. I, I can see him moving in my life. I can hear him conversing with me when I pray. I, I can feel him prodding me with his will in his direction. You see, but, but if we want that experience, then it takes a little initiative on our part. It, it takes a little movement on our part. See, the truth is doubts are resolved when we get involved. See, sometimes we'll sit and we'll wait on Jesus, and Jesus is like, I'm ready, just waiting on you. And if we want to experience Jesus and have that firsthand experience, then it'll, it'll require us to get involved. It'll require us to, to take a little initiative. I love that Thomas will not repeat the same mistake twice. He's got to wait a week to experience Jesus, but he kind of hedges his bets. He kind of goes, well, Jesus showed up last Sunday night when all the disciples were together. Maybe Jesus will show up this Sunday night when all the disciples are together. Either way, I'm going to be here. And sure, Thomas doubts, but he's got some curiosity. Maybe if we get together on a Sunday morning, Jesus will show up and do something amazing. I think we could still have that curiosity today. Maybe if we get together on a Sunday, Jesus will show up, do something amazing. Maybe if I invite somebody to show up on a Sunday, Jesus will show up and do something amazing. You see, we don't want to miss out on our moment. We don't want to miss out on the gathering of believers because that's often when Jesus shows up. And for Thomas, he, he uh, bet correctly. It says a week later, the disciples were in the house together and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. See, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting a firsthand experience with Jesus. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to experience Jesus with your senses but it's going to take a little initiative. It's going to take us getting involved. It's going to require this, that if we want, if we want to hear him, then we have to listen till you hear him. We got to listen till you hear him. Because Jesus isn't always loud. 
He often speaks softly, but consistently, quietly into our lives. And he's moving and wants us to hear him moving, wants to hear us to hear his words back to us. My wife the other day was trying to tell me there was something wrong with our car, and I did not believe her until I turned down the radio. And I could hear, like, a loose flap going, and, and luckily I heard it, was able to fix it before it became something worse. Well, sometimes we got, we got to dial it down and tune in to listen to Jesus in order to hear him. We got to listen until we hear him. Uh, if we want to experience Jesus, then we got to look till you see him. I know that sometimes faith is just trusting until you see. But I don't think it's that hard to see Jesus at work. I think if we want to look into our lives and start seeing, seeing him at work, I think we've got to get rid of this whole idea of coincidence. You know, that, that you're really wrestling with, with this issue today, but this song all of a sudden came on the radio? Or, or you, you were losing sleep the other night because you wrestled with this, but then you woke up and you read this verse in the morning? Or, or uh, all this chaos is happening in your life, but somebody, you had this appointment with another believer, and all of a sudden... You don't even know why you had this conversation, but it hit exactly where you needed it to hit. That Jesus is working in our lives around us, and it's not that hard to see. And sometimes you've got to look till you see it. I think you could just look at the world around us. I don't think it's that hard. I think you could look at the sciences. I think you could look at math. I think you could look at geology, biology, astronomy, zoology, philosophy. I think you could look at all these and, and, and realize that it all points back to a source. It all points back to something intelligent beyond our understanding. In fact, I'd argue it takes more faith to be an atheist. You've got to believe that randomly there was some goo that somehow became a polywog, somehow became a monkey, that somehow became you. That's a lot of faith. I don't think it's that hard to look around and see Jesus at work. I, I, think, I think it's possible, and you have to look till you see him. It's in John 20, verse 27, where Jesus tells Thomas, says, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You see, I think if we want to experience Jesus, we got to latch on till you feel him. I think it's kind of funny that Mary Magdalene, as soon as she realizes Jesus, it's not the gardener, it's Jesus, it says she grabs onto him, she takes hold of him, she latches onto Jesus. And Jesus kind of tells her, hey, Mary, I, I'm not a ghost. I got other people I got to visit. I'm going to need you to let go. You know, it's going to be a little awkward if you're still there. I, I just, but, but she experienced it, but she grabs onto him. And sometimes we got to reach out and start taking hold of experience. We want that connection with Jesus. We need that connection with Jesus. I uh, lead a connect group um, with some guys on Wednesdays at lunch and and uh, we've been going through a, a book on leadership. And uh, this, last, this last session, um, we were about midway through the group session. And, and I asked the guys, I said, I forgot to ask you this at the beginning of the group, but I still want to know the answer. And that is, why did you sign up for this group? And, and I thought I knew the answers they were going to uh, tell me. I thought, well, for one, it's a great book by a great author. You know, maybe that's why they signed up for the group. Uh, um, we're learning some great leadership skills that are highly val- valuable uh, all throughout life, and, and maybe it's those skills. Um, I thought, I, I think I'm a pretty good group leader. Maybe you get to hang out with Tom, and that's why you signed up with this group. Turns out none of that was the answer. No, 90% of them said the reason they signed up for the group was so they could connect with some other guys, and it was just a convenient time to do it. 
we have such a need to just connect, to feel connection, feel connection with God and with God's people. And, and what I'm realizing over and over in my life is those times in life where I have a healthy connection, I also get a healthy direction on where my life should go. And for Jesus, he, he's not afraid for us to latch on. He's not afraid for us to, to uh, reach out and touch him and connect with him and to experience. In fact, he wants us to experience him. And when Thomas experiences Jesus, his response is, my Lord and my God. Not you are Lord and you are God. No, it's very personal. You are my Lord. You're my God. You've proven your deity, Jesus. And we know that this was a pivotal moment for Thomas. It was his firsthand experience and it changed the course of his life. The truth changed the course of his life. We know 20 years later, Thomas will travel from Israel all the way down to the southern tip of India. And there in India, he will plant churches upon churches. And in fact, he'll be persecuted for his beliefs. He'll have the opportunity to deny that Jesus ever rose from the grave, but he can't because it's his story. And so he will be killed by the spear. But if you go to southern India today, the southern district is called Kerala. A few years back, I had the privilege of going down there. It still has a rich Christian legacy and history, Kerala. And, and they liked me because my name is Thomas. And to this day, Thomas is a revered name in southern India. But the truth will change your life. When you meet Jesus and experience that moment with him, it'll change your life. In fact, John tells you there's other moments that have been written down. There's other stories that have been written down. Uh, there's some that haven't. But all these stories exist to help you believe. You believe that Jesus was very, very dead and then was very, very alive. And he still wants you to experience him today. You know, Kurt reminded us last week that we're not Christians because of some great teachings from a great man. We're, we're not Christians because of some a series of miracles that were interesting. We're Christians because we believe there was a man who walked the earth who was really, really dead and three days later was really, really alive and that that event happened within history and it changed the course of history forever. We believe in a resurrected Jesus, Lord and Savior. I think it's interesting too, the text never says that Thomas touched Jesus. I like to think that he saw him, he heard him, and that was enough. That was enough to remove the doubts. My question for you this morning is, what do you need? What do you need to see, hear, or feel? Doubts big or small? Last weekend, my family, we got together for an Easter meal and uh, as we're eating and conversing together, we started sharing stories that had taken place the week prior. And my sister Amy, uh, her husband Adrian was leading worship earlier. They were talking about their daughter, uh, Sadie, my niece, who, who earlier that week was playing doctor. And she had kind of that collection of plastic doctor toys that, you know, all those kids have. And, and, uh, and she came over to, to Amy and she had um, some plastic tweezers and she just started pretending like she was taking things off of Amy. And Amy said, sweetie, Sadie, what are you doing? And Sadie said, I'm removing your doubts. She said, I'm a doctor and my name is Jesus. <laughs> Amy asked her, she said, are you going to take my doubts and drown them in the sea? 
She said, no, I'm just going to put them in the sink. Uh, they're part of it. But maybe this morning, you need an appointment with the great physician. And you just need Jesus to begin removing those doubts. To take those doubts and get rid of them. Don't miss your moment. I'm going to close this today in prayer, but that's not the moment. (laughs) And as I pray, I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come forward. And uh, that's not the moment. No, the moment is what happens afterwards. What you decide to do from there. If you got doubts big or small this morning, I want to invite you to pray with our prayer partners to experience Jesus. And not just this morning, but throughout this week. Look, you don't have to have it all together. I, I think sometimes we get that in our minds that, that, you know, in order to make an important decision for Jesus, we got to get it all together, have all our ducks in a row. And Jesus doesn't say that. He's like, no, bring me what you got. Bring me doubts included so that together we can get it together. And maybe for you, it's getting past the biggest doubt. Just believing Jesus was and is who he says he is and identifying with that greatest event in all of history that defines our belief as Christians. Maybe for you, it's being baptized. And we have a beach baptism coming up on May 19th. You can sign up for it online. You can sign up for it on guest services. And in that baptism, Romans 6 tells us that we are identifying with it by by burying that old life underwater, rising to a new life, just as Jesus rose and gave us new life. So whatever decision that is for you today, Don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. You just need a little courage and a couple steps forward where you can experience the great physician. You can experience the truth and you can let it change your life. Don't miss your moment. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that there are apostles willing to ask questions, willing to be honest, willing to write this down so that we might believe and that we might continue to experience Jesus today. Lord, I pray for those in this room that we would experience Jesus this morning, that we would look till we see him, that we would listen till we hear him, that we would latch on and feel him and experience him, and not just this morning, but throughout the week, Lord, that our senses would be tuned to your spiritual radar to see that you are a living God still to this day, still moving, still working through us, still working despite us, still removing our doubts and bringing your name glory. Lord, I pray for anyone who needs to make a decision this morning, who who has doubts they need to let go of this morning, that you give them the courage to share that, to have it prayed over, to have you do what you do, Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name.